Well, this morning we continue our series, The Domino Effect, and we're looking at stories in Scripture in which we see a domino effect of faithfulness. Stories where we see God working in unexpected and amazing ways. And he's still doing unexpected and amazing things in our world around us today. Through ordinary people like you and me. So this series really is a call to praise God. To praise him for his amazing grace. A domino effect that he set in motion 2,000 years ago in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a call to recognize that, that the effect that that domino has had in our lives. And it's a call to action in order that that domino effect would continue in the lives of others. As we've said in this sermon series and we've seen in scripture we have no idea the domino effect we can, or better yet, will have when we are faithful to following Jesus. That through our faithfulness, God is at work in unexpected and spectacular ways. In our passage for today, we will see the domino effect of one of Jesus' signs, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. A domino effect Jesus sets in motion through those who were there to witness this sign. Our scripture reader for this morning is Tom Tom. So Tom, go ahead and make your way to the podium. If you are able to stand, please stand and face the center of the room. We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is central in our lives and that we stand because we believe this is indeed the authoritative word of God. So Tom, whenever you're ready, please go ahead and read from the Gospel of John, chapters 11 and 12. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for, the bo- for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you, for you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Thank you, Tom. You may all be seated. Now, throughout this sermon series, we have been doing domino challenges. And as I was, uh, as I was thinking about these two passages, I think they're a great example of something that maybe often goes missed in Scripture. 
Because when we learn to read scripture or are taught it, it's often broken down into small chunks. It's, it's maybe a little bit fragmented. Now there's times where this is good, where it's good to study a specific part of scripture in depth or for teaching like this, but it's also good to read scripture like you would a book, maybe a few chapters at a time. So maybe a bonus challenge for you and maybe for me, would be to pick up a Bible and read a gospel or a book of the Bible from beginning to end. Whether it's in a week or two or for a month, just to read one book of the Bible from beginning to end. And to see how when you immerse yourself in the Word in this way, the different things that maybe you see and understand. Because this story of Lazarus actually plays out over the course of multiple chapters. And today, I think we'll get some insight into why it's important to look at Scripture in this way. So maybe that's a bonus challenge for you in this series. But now back to your regularly, regularly scheduled Sunday sermon. We see domino effects all the time, right, around us. Whether we're realizing it or not, we see domino effects where something is a cause and then it has an effect. That first domino falls and it sets off a chain reaction. Well, as we read the story of Lazarus, we see this miracle that Jesus performs. And what I find fascinating, especially as we think about the domino effect of this story, is what Jesus has to say throughout it. Because in this series, as I said at the beginning, what we are witnessing in it is the domino effect of faithfulness. And the first domino that we see then is Jesus' faithfulness. You see, before our passage for today, when Jesus is told that Lazarus is about to die, he says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Because Jesus knows what this moment means for him and his ministry. He understands that things are about to hit the fan, that none of this is actually a surprise to Jesus. And so when Jesus returns to Bethany, he finds a crowd has gathered at the house of Martha and Mary to mourn the loss of their brother Lazarus. Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, are mourning, and the community gathers around them. And Martha, in her grief, approaches Jesus, and she exclaims, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. He wouldn't have died. But I know even now, God will give you whatever you ask. You see, Martha knew Jesus. She addresses him as Lord. She understands who he is and she recognizes his authority. And she knows that if Jesus would have been there, Lazarus would not have died. But even still, she believes that nothing is too difficult for God. But it's interesting because when they go to the tomb of her brother Lazarus, they say it's been four days, which is a significant uh, detail in the story. It's been four days since his death. And now, Martha, instead of demonstrating faith, 
starts to show a little bit of doubt. And this four days is rather significant because in Jewish custom, it was believed that the soul would remain near or with the body for three days with the hopes of returning to the body. So if that custom, that tradition is on the minds of the crowd or Martha, then at this point, that hope would be dwindling because now it's been four days. That hope has turned to doubt. Because before, Jesus could have prayed Lazarus' soul back into his body. But it's been four days. But again, Jesus' words in this passage, he says, he responds to Martha's doubt. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And he continues and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. For I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of those that are here. That they may see and believe that you have sent me. We tend to have doubts like Martha, don't we? It's human nature. In our self-centeredness, in our sinful nature, we tend to doubt God's providence. His ongoing activity in this world. And even if we don't doubt it, we rarely recognize it. Professor of Systematic Theology and Apologetics Michael Horton says that while placing our destinies in the everlasting arms of God on Sunday, we may find ourselves on Monday morning with the general impression that our lives are really controlled by the invisible hand of the market or the comforting arms of the state, insurance providers, and the companies by which we are employed. You see, what Horton is suggesting, I think, is that our world today, we look not to God for deliverance, but to a secularized notion of providence in the name of progress and prosperity. That instead of searching for and affirming God's activity and involvement in our world, in our lives, and in every moment of history, Horton points out that God's saving will in Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, and God's hands of providence remain largely hidden, even in the life of believers. But you see, what Jesus demonstrates for Martha and Mary and the crowd that's gathered at Lazarus' tomb is encapsulated in Proverbs 3 that we must trust in the Lord with all our heart. That we must not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways submit to him and he will make our path straight. Because what Jesus is making clear to this community is that this is not an act of man, but is an act of God. That it is not something you can understand unless you are trusting in God with your whole heart. Only then will you be able to comprehend what is about to happen and experience true joy and the everlasting hope that I am here to proclaim. Because when we lean on our own understanding, we end up drifting or wandering away. So the first domino is not something we do, but it is something Jesus does. It is Jesus' faithfulness. The second domino, then, is faithful witness of community. 
If we transition from chapter 11 into chapter 12, from the story of raising Lazarus, now we see that many of those who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead have gone out and they have spread the news of what they have witnessed. And Jesus said that he performed this sign so that those who saw would believe. That they would believe God has sent him. And now that they've witnessed it, they have gone to spread that word and the people who have heard of this sign want to see Jesus. So how do we faithfully live out our witness and our testimony? Is it just showing up to church on Sunday mornings like Horton suggests? That that's the norm? Or does the effect of Jesus' faithfulness permeate our whole lives? Or maybe you're wondering, do I even have a testimony? I know I've wondered that. I know for me in the past, it's been easy to say, well, nothing's really happened to me in my life that I have any sort of powerful testimony. Maybe if I did, then it would be easier to share. But since I don't, I don't really think I can impact others. So it's just easier not to share. But you see, the thing is, it's not about me. And I recognize that that's a terrible mindset to have. But if we're honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us have probably been there. Who don't think that we can effectively share how God's been at work in our lives. Because maybe we've missed it. And so we just don't. And yet at other times we can hear powerful testimonies of a person and we hear how God has moved in their life and they have this fire and this passion for the gospel and for God and for all that he's done in their lives and we want that. We desire that. And earlier this week I heard this powerful testimony about this man who early on in his life he ended up in a gang and then he ended up in jail and then he went to Vietnam and after that he came back and he ended up back in jail and then he ended up on the streets and then he traveled across the country and ended up back in jail again. And it was then for the very first time in his life he picked up a book called The Holy Bible and it absolutely changed his life. And we marvel at these stories, right? And we think, wow, God is so good. Immediately followed by, I wish you'd do something big in my life. Right? Or is that just me? Like if we're honest with ourselves, we have all experienced that envy in some form. Because what we really desire is we desire transformation. Deep down, we desire that outcome. Unfortunately, we overlook the difficulty, the often tragic way that that person got there. We overlook the pain and the consequences because we're so focused on ourselves rather than others. But you see, that's why we need this community. I grew up in the church. I grew up being taught to love God, yet in my brokenness, in my self-centeredness, I have allowed my own desires, the noise of this world, the empty promises of this world, keep me from fully appreciating or understanding the gift that I was given. 
that in it I have taken the communities that have sought to love me for granted, terribly for granted. But if I sit back and really think about my life, I can see some of the ways that God has been on the move. I'm sure I've still missed others. But I can see some of the ways that to me just seemed really ordinary or not important in the moment, but yet now that I think about it and I can see how he was stitching things together, that it's pretty amazing what he's been doing. And I've had to recognize that maybe my testimony is not for me, right? It's not for me. And while maybe I don't think it's anything special, maybe there's someone out there who needs to hear it. Because maybe someone can relate to that. And it's the same for you because God is at work in each and every one of our lives. And deep down, we all long for that transformation. The problem is where we go searching for it. We chase after the carrot that this world dangles right in front of us. But deep down, we all long for the healing and transformation of Jesus. Deep down, we recognize that this world is in desperate need of that healing and of a Savior. The community that comes around Martha and Mary is in desperate need of healing, wanting healing for their brother Lazarus in desperate need for that transformation. And now they turn to Jesus. The great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that what was an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. It's easy to take this community for granted. Especially if we look around the world and we see people in countries like Iran or Bhutan or other places in the world where they're all alone in their faith. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says it's that so those who witness this sign would believe, that they would see the glory of God, that they would begin to understand what God is offering them if they follow Jesus. Now, not all of them do or not all of them understand, but those who did, when they do, they can't help but go tell someone else. They can't help but go spread the word because when they encounter Jesus and witness his glory, their lives are transformed and they had to go tell others. They couldn't contain themselves. And that is a blueprint of what it means for us to share the gospel. That is a blueprint of discipleship. And John tells us that the people who heard this message were so compelled by the gift of grace that they had to then go meet Jesus. And it wasn't just Jews 
right? So the community that would have gathered at the tomb of Martha and Mary would have been Jews, but it says that if we go further in the scripture, we see that it wasn't even just Jews, that Greeks and other people, other Gentiles came to see Jesus because they so longed for that transformation. And the Pharisees, they saw this and they said, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world is going after him. Jesus' opponents even recognized his power. And I'm always struck by this. I'm struck by their unbelief that these persons who claim to believe in God, who are so self-righteous that they could recognize Jesus' power and yet fail to see the glory of God. But that's just it. They couldn't give up their self-righteousness. They couldn't get out of their own way. And yet I wonder if sometimes I do the exact same thing. Or that the church has done that exact same thing throughout history and today over and over again. Lifeway Research and Church Answers, which seeks to equip church leaders and churches for better leadership, for better ministry and effectiveness, recently discovered that the top five reasons people either leave church or don't come to church all fall under the perception that churches have an entitlement mentality rather than a servant mentality. This means that somewhere along the way, churches and people in the church have drifted back to that self-righteous attitude of the Pharisees. That churches have gotten more comfortable with who they are in the sign out front than what they are called to be as the hands and feet of Jesus. But if we truly encounter Jesus, if we're truly experiencing hope and joy, we must proclaim the statement that's on that wall right there. That the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything. Because that's where we find our hope. And that's what we have to share with this broken world. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's an everyday thing. The Apostle Paul, who Pastor Chuck talked about last week, experienced a radical healing and transformation from persecuting disciples to making disciples. And in his letter to the Ephesian community, he writes, You were dead in your transgressions and sin. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has already prepared in advance for us to do. Which God has already prepared in advance for us to do. That means then that the third domino is us. That because of Jesus' faithfulness, because of the faithful witness of other Christians, we have been given the gift of faith from God. 
And we are not called to simply hold on to that gift for ourselves, but that we are called to share that gift with a hurting world, to provide light in the darkness, to offer hope to the hopeless, to be a refuge to the lost. As a safe haven, the church is called to be a place that invites those who are outside in, that cares for and encourages one another, and that intentionally creates community and lifelong transformation happens there. A place for the lost and the brokenhearted. A place to find peace and healing in community and in Christ. Why do we gather together? Whether it's here on Sunday mornings or on a Monday night small group or in a pulse group or a journey group or Wednesday night recharge our kids or any of the classes that go on on Wednesday night, why do we get together in those communities? Because from the very beginning, God said it is not good for man to be alone, but that we were made for community, that we were cre created to care for one another, to support one another as we follow Jesus together. Because Christian community offers love, acceptance, accountability, grace, and hope. And when that community comes together, healing and transformation that is truly life-changing takes place. 59 times in the New Testament, the writers make one another statements. Statements that are talking about what it means for us to be in community with one another. Not focused on ourselves because it's not about us, but it's about one another. To accept one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burden, to speak truth for one another, to comfort one another, pray for one another, love one another. The list goes on and on. The church does not gather to celebrate itself. No, the church gathers because we are so much better together and to point one another to Jesus. Paul says, this is what you were created for. This is what the church was created for. This is why Jesus chose the church to be his instrument. To do the works that God is already preparing for us to do. Whether it is here in this community or around the world, the church is called to have a servant mentality to reach into a broken and lost world. And church, this is something that we can't take for granted because Jesus chose the church because together we are able to achieve immeasurably more than we can imagine. And together, that is the domino effect that we can have. We are broken people, and sometimes we get it wrong, but we also know that we have a perfect Savior, and that's where we must always be pointing to Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior, and when we do that together, we are better. That's how we become and be the hands and feet of Jesus and be the church. Uh, every week in this series, we've been doing a domino challenge. We handed out these dominoes uh, at kickoff, and uh, you can pick them up at the information booth if you didn't get one, but we've been doing these domino challenges. And uh, for this week, I just, I want to encourage you to, 
intentionally connect with someone in community, whether that's someone from church or that's someone from a work community or some other form of community that you are a part of, just connect with them and ask them, hey, where are you at in your walk with Christ? Touch base with them, and, and the, the, the key to it is not someone who's related to you. Maybe someone who you don't talk to very often. Maybe even a stranger in that community. But just ask them, where are you at in your walk with Christ? And uh, have a conversation. When you finish that conversation, encourage them. Spur them on. That's one, another one of those one another's, to encourage one another and to spur one another on in community. So uh, as you go throughout your week, be praying and thinking about someone who you can encourage this week. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, you are an amazing God, filled with amazing grace. And we know that we are broken people, broken vessels, but yet you have chosen us. You have chosen this community to be a part of your body, to be a part of the greater church, to work in this community and beyond, and, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because when people experience that message, the gospel message, their lives will be absolutely permanently changed and transformed, that they will come to know you. And that's who we are called to be, the hands and feet of Jesus. But we are indeed a broken people, always in need of your grace. And so I pray that as we go from this place, you would just help us as well to be encouraged this week, to, to be in relationship with others this week, and, and to uh, just be able to walk with others in their, in their walk of faith. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.